we are uh, we're honored to have Rich and Susan Kallenberg with us. Um, and in the last uh, few moments of the last class period, they kind of introduced what they're going to be talking about now. When I looked at the co leading causes of death for adults, the list is different than for youth. And as I was preparing for this uh, GYC conference, I recognized that it might be well to deal with some of the leading causes of death for youth. The first one is uh, accidents, preventable accidents usually. Frontal lobe malfunctions lead to that. Bad judgment, whatnot. Number two is homicide, so there's a lot of bitterness and anger. And uh, so people turn to different things that are very Suicidal, either homicidal or number three cause of death, suicidal. Um, so many of these uh, things that I've read in research uh, indicate that uh, alcohol, drugs, the very kind of things that um, are all around us try and suck young people in. And so I'm hopeful today that we can pick up some pointers. Rich and Susan Kallenberg also have uh, a ministry called JustAsIAmMinistries.com. They'll give you a little book afterwards of some of the steps they lead people through. I know that they run an effective group because they do it right down the road from me every day, and I see the cars pulling up. And so I'm thankful that they can be here with us. Let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us as we begin. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that... Uh, just as we are, you can come near us and help us and take us from the guttermost to the uttermost and lead us. So we ask that you'd give your wisdom to Susan and Rich Kallenberg as they share today. And we thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, how many of you were here uh, last, last hour? Okay, most. How many of you weren't? Let's put it that way. Okay, good. What we're going to do then is I'm going to run. You don't mind if I run through the first five or six slides that I did last time? Everybody's okay with that? Okay, good. We're going to turn the lights down low. Everybody's okay with turning the lights down low? Okay. If I could find the right one. Ooh, that's a little too low. Hmm. I'm not a light person, as you can see. Boy, it's either on or off. Huh. This is. Huh? Yeah. Let's see. Okay, those guys on. The next one. The next one. There you go. That's it. Well, that. Boy, this is. Somebody's on the other ones, too. That's what's going on. Okay, you work on it. Sorry about that. There we go. Perfect. Beautiful. Okay, death by choice. Um, and like I mentioned before, some of the slides are going to be really graphic, these first ones. And they're there to diff, to, to, for a reason. They're going to probably get your attention. They're going to, they, they may not make sense right now, but they're going to make sense by the time we get to a few other slides. Um, and, well, I'm just going to go ahead. You've heard of the extreme house makeover, home makeovers and extreme makeovers, right? Well, this is what you call an extreme meth makeover. The next couple of slides are going to illustrate what happens when a person puts this chemical into their bodies. 
And we're going to talk about today how we also change the chemical structure of our brain from the inside out, too. So we don't have to put chemicals in to change the structure of our, our brain. We can do that by simply by what we think of. So I don't know how long this took, but on a couple of these slides I do. This is a young girl that's been on methamphetamine. Okay, and there's a reason why we use methamphetamine as the illustration. Methamphetamine affects the dopamine system like no other drug. It mimics it, it kicks the dopamine out into the synaptic cleft, and it causes horrible, horrible damage to the brain by overstimulation. And we'll get into all of that and we'll talk about why this drug is so destructive. This is three and a half years later. Now, Don brought something to my attention a little while uh, ago. We don't want you to think that after we, after we describe our life and what we went through and everything, that you can immediately go out and start witnessing to some of these people because Susan and I are, have a ministry. We uh, deal with these people and it's very difficult. It's very taxing because they've done things to their brain. And so it's very difficult to minister to these people. Not saying that we can't, but uh, I just want to set that straight and run out and think that it's going to be easy or that that's, that's going to be your mission, okay? Um, three and a half years. Now this lady here, this is after 10 years of methamphetamine use. This is where she started, and every year they took a picture, okay? And by the time she gets down here, she is totally blind. She has no teeth. The devil has finished his job. Is that amazing? That's incredible. Now, there's a reason why we're, 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 we're going to show you, we show you these things is because there is hope. Now, notice this quote. It's almost like she was looking down through the corridors of time. Some will be found whose minds have been so long debased that they will never in this life become what, under more favorable circumstances, they might have been. Now, she's telling us to do something here. Plant in their minds uplifting, ennobling thoughts. Let your what? Life make it plain to them the difference between vice and purity, darkness and light. In your what? Example, let them read what it means to be a Christian. In your life, let them read. See, when I finished, I was a drug addict. When I finished my drug addiction years, I could no longer read. I needed people whose lives were patterned after Christ to attract me to Christ. Christ is able to uplift the most sinful and place them where they will be, what? Acknowledged as children of God, joint heirs with Christ to the immortal inheritance. Is that good news? Okay, one more picture. This is in 1981. This is in 1993. Cocaine, methamphetamine, marijuana, barbiturates. This is my wife, Susan. And God is in the business of extreme makeovers, isn't he? Is that incredible? Okay, so this is my wife, Susan. And what she's going to do is she's going to give you a brief testimony uh, of, her, of her life. Hi, everybody. This picture is um, kind of... Uh, illustrates what happened to me. You know, when I was in kindergarten and the teacher said, Susan, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never raised my hand and said, I want to be an addict for the next 25 years and end up a three-time felon and end up in and out of jails and, and institutions and stealing and lying and cheating. But that's exactly what happened. 
And um, I started from a very young age. I started uh, smoking and drinking when I was 10 years old and um, just kept going down the wrong path. Um, as, I, as I kept using, you know what, I never had um, God in my life and I didn't, um, I was raised a Catholic and went to Catholic school, but um, some things happened to me when I was younger that I don't want to go into and I, I, I thought, why did, why did God allow this to happen to me? And um, I kept on making bad choice after bad choice to the point that as I went down the road, I got further and further from the place where God in initially wanted me to be. Um, I was arrested at, at 18, that was my first arrest. I was arrested for a felony and I spent some time in jail. And you know what, I got to jail and I thought to myself, how in the world did I get here? I was 18 years old, I grew up in a small town. I was not doing anything wrong, I was just surviving. Because see, I had this deep, dark black hole inside of me from things that had happened to me when I was younger. And I thought that the only way that I could fill it was from the outside, you know, with, with, whether it be with drugs or alcohol. I didn't realize that that hole, each one of us has that hole. And God is the one who wants to come in to our heart and to make us complete. He is the answer for everybody. And um, I just thought, why in the world, um, you know, if, if the police would just leave me alone, if, um, if my probation officer would just leave me alone, all I'm doing is doing what I wanna do. If I kill myself, that's okay, that's my business, isn't it? And I just wanted to be left alone to die because I felt that I was unworthy, unlovable, and um, I had just done so many things in my life that there was just no way back out of, of my life. And you know what, Satan had me thoroughly convinced that, I had, that there was never gonna be any other path of life, that uh, being a drug addict was the only thing that I was gonna be able to do. Um, in 1993, my father was the mayor of the city and there was the largest drug bust ever in the county when he was the mayor. And it happened at a house that he owned. It was my brother and myself and my brother's girlfriend. And um, I ended up in jail again with more felonies. And this time I was on my way to state prison for three years. And they gave me the sentence, but they said, you know what, if you go and do some drug rehab um, and you successfully complete it, you don't have to go to you don't have to do your prison time. Got into jail, got out on home arrest, had dirty tests. I was incapable of making the right choice. I was incapable of making the right choice because after 22 years of drug use, that's the only choice that I knew. That's all I knew. And I just couldn't do it. And so finally, um, for about three years, I was in and out of the system and finally they put me in jail. I was there for eight months. Um, and there was a woman that I met there and she said, Susan, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Why do you keep, you know, you seem like a smart person. Why? I said, I don't know why. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I want to do is use drugs. And before I go to sleep at night, I have to make sure that I have enough so that I'll be able to get up the, the next morning. It, it, I had to have it to survive. And she said, can I pray with you? And I said, sure. And I do not remember what she said to me. All I know is that from that point in time, I've never ever had the obsession to use drugs again. And that was 12 years ago. And that started the miracle. Um, let's see, I guess you wanna go now, right? 
Okay. And the miracle happened. And you knew what? You know what? I had to, everything had to change. All my friends, everything that I did, everywhere that I went had to change. And I knew one thing. I knew that God was the one who saved me. And I was going to do everything that I could to find out who God really was and do exactly what he told me to do. So instead of chasing for drugs the way that I did, I had to chase after God just as hard, even doubly as hard, because I knew my life depended on it. I know that if I go back out and I use today, guess what happens? I know I will die. Because as you, if, you're, if you become an addict, you, if you stop using drugs and you start using again, it's like you're right back to where the, the spot where you left off. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and give this over to Rich, and he's going to tell you his story. This is the only picture I have of myself. This is actually after I was two years clean and sober. Um, and uh, this is after 24 years of drug abuse. And it was very similar uh, to her story. Satan had me thoroughly convinced that that's the way I was going to live. Actually, that everybody was on drugs, and that's what life was all about. And that I was going to die, and the sooner the better. That's what he had me convinced that, and so that I believed it. Now, this is where I, I, I was in high school. Now, um, I had low self-esteem, so I thought that if I was the best at everything, that people would like me. I wanted you to like me. You know, that was it. I had this whole, I lived, I grew up in a home where God wasn't there. And so um, I trusted my childhood to sports, music, and academics. And, uh, you know, I was a four-year letterman, class valedictorian, senior class president, uh, the head drummer at stage band, marching band, concert band. I did everything I possibly could to get people to like me, and I tried to excel in everything. But I didn't have God in my life. And so when I got out of school, I started hanging around the wrong playmates, and things got bad. They got worse. And, and uh, so anyway, I ended up uh, trusting my mind to drugs and rock and roll. Once I got out of school, I got into a rock and roll band and into construction. And, and uh, I was talking to a young man. I don't think he's in here now, but uh, earlier... He, he was saying that uh, he has a friend right now that just smokes marijuana and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, look, at here's, here's what happens. We don't, like she says, we don't raise our hand and say, I want to be like that, a, a horrible meth addict, right? It, ha it happens by a series of insignificant, seemingly insignificant small choices. First, I started drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Then I started drinking. Then I started smoking a little bit of marijuana. The next thing was cocaine. The next thing was methamphetamine. The next thing was cooking methamphetamine. See, so it got worse and worse and worse. It's just these series of choices that we make that lead us to a point where we originally said, I will never do that. But that's how the devil gets us, isn't it? And this is not my bedroom, but it's exactly what my bedroom looked, at, looked like. Right, right, before, right when I, and I can remember now laying face down on my bed. This is a little meth lab is what it is. I can remember lying face down on my bed, screaming at the top of my lungs for God to help me. And from that instant, the obsession to use drugs was gone. He took it away. I don't know how he did it, but it was a miracle because I was all done. He tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Rich, your way hasn't worked. You think you're pretty smart, don't you? And I says, yeah, I think so, God. He says, look what your best thinking has got you. And I started looking around. I said, boy, you're right. Your way hasn't worked. You have to try it my way or you're going to die. 
I don't, he didn't say it in a clear voice, but you know how you just know that's what's going on? And so that's what happened. And so um, I trust, it, it, near the end, I was in constant fear of running out of drugs, so I said, I'm going to have to cook my own drugs. And I had myopia. You know what myopia is? Nearsightedness. I could only see myself. That's how bad it got. I didn't care whose life I mowed through. If you were in my truck at the end, you probably would have got 25 to life for being with me because I had all these chemicals to cook methamphetamine. I was taking them. It was just really foolish at the end. But God brought me out of that. Praise the Lord. So, <clears throat> one thing... When you see one of these guys, and this is the whole new mindset that has to start happening, and that's with all of us. When you see one of these guys going 80 miles an hour down the freeway with the wheel up, what's he trying to do? He's trying to kill himself, isn't he? Right? And when you see a police officer with the siren going around behind him, what's he trying to do? Is he trying to get him in trouble? No, he's already in trouble. You see? Unless we realize we're already in trouble because the policeman behind us, we think God, see, I'm looking in my rearview mirror the whole time through my life thinking God was going to get me in trouble. God's going to get me in trouble. Finally, God said, Rich, you're already in trouble. I want to get you out. See, the policeman's wanting to pull the guy over and get him out of that situation to save his life. And God's saying, if I could just get this guy pulled over long enough to save his life. And he did, for both of us. Already in trouble. So it took nearly 25 years for us to totally mess our lives up. Now, the key to it is, restoration was going to take more than just a few days. Okay? And believe it or not, the first seven are relatively easy compared to the last three. You with me on that? Huh? You understand what I'm talking about? It's, it's scary, isn't it? Towards the boat. Everybody know what it means when you're fishing? What does it mean to, to get something to turn towards the boat? We had to get turned towards the boat. And you know what happened then, after we got turned towards the boat? Then the fight began. Does a fish just lay on its side when you reel them in? What does it do? It fights, doesn't it? And see, Jesus uses the analogy, you'll be fishers of men. But what happens? The fish just does not lay on its side and let you reel them in. There's a struggle. There's a fight between the spiritual and the carnal nature. Even though you're turned towards the boat, there's still that struggle. When does he turn towards the boat? Here's the key. When he's tired. When I was finally tired of doing it my way, when my way hadn't worked, that's when I turned towards the boat. That's when God could reel me in. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we wonder why someone can't see what their problem is, why they won't stop in their addiction or their bad behavior. They're obviously not tired of it. They don't think they have a problem. If they don't have a problem, you can't help someone that doesn't have a problem. It doesn't work that way. So a new mindset from instant gratification to what's best for all that's concerned long term so we had to have a new mindset the phrase long term was not in either one of our vocabularies was it <laughs> we were just interested in what was going to get us through the next 24 hours and you know that it's the same thing with with all of us you know we need to be interested in what the long term effects of our actions are not just on short term gratification 
Okay, now our way hadn't worked, and once we admitted that, then came the struggle to let go. So what we're going to share with you in this little segment is how difficult it was for us to let go of some things. Because a lot of times, okay, the, the obsession for drugs, to use drugs was, let, was lifted, right? But what happened? What else happened? Everything we ever had uh, let go of, it, it had claw marks all over it. In other words, we did not want to let it go. You know what I'm saying? And we let things go in, in steps. And, you know, even a music can be an addiction or an idol. You realize that? Now, I had to let go. This was my favorite band was Led Zeppelin. I learned every riff he had on the guitar, every beat on the drum, the bass parts, everything. That was my idol. And what Susan did was she said, uh, you know what, Rich? What, you were going to go buy a hymnal, right? I wanted to buy a hymnal, yeah, after we became Christian. And I said, what do you want to buy a hymnal for? Because I was still liking the old music. And I said, I'm never going to like those hymns. And this has been a real struggle for me because my whole life was built around music. So I've got a Fender Strat and a Marshall amp in the, in the, in the back room, but I don't bring it out anymore because every time I bring it out, it wants to play that bad music. So if your arm offends you, cut it off. So I just don't go there right now. And so the talent that was given him by God, he is not at this point able to use because he can't use it properly. So even though God's given him the ear and he can play by ear, he can't. He can't even pick up the guitar because he'll go right back to that old stuff. That's how ingrained it is in it's, his body. It's just it's so mine. ingrained in there, which is, I'll get the victory one of these days. Pray for me. <laughs> okay. Okay, the double lattes. Double lattes had to go. They had to go. They did not go for me. They went right, right when, when I quit doing crank. They, they went too. But with Susan, a couple years down the road. It was a struggle for her to let go of the coffee. So different things for different people. Smoking, same thing. A year after I quit the methamphetamine, I threw the pack of cigarettes into the fireplace. It was over. With her, I was going to make her quit. So I took her down to the trailer and said, you're not having any cigarettes for this, this next three days. And she went nuts. She went bonkers. She was smoking cigarette butts that she found on the beach. You know, what are you going to do? It was a difficult time for her. And I'm it, sorry. No, that's okay. And it took me at least another year before I was able to quit. And you know what? I had to surrender to God. I was not willing to surrender it. But once I started really praying about it, then, you know, God gave me the answer. And, and I was finally able to quit. Oh, poor, ha poor hygiene habits. We had, to learn we had to learn how to eat. We had to learn how to brush our teeth. And sleep. And sleep. Uh, that's not my mouth, but I got a whole new front grill. Six teeth in the front. We got about $40,000 in her teeth. That's not true. That's it's an exaggeration. 20000 <laughs> Okay. So the, I have my teeth. <laughs> we have, yeah, she has all her teeth. I don't have all my teeth. So, you know, once again, God is in the business of restoration. Because when I, when, the last time that I went into jail, you saw my pictures, my hair was falling out, my teeth were falling out, and I had scabs all over my body. She was. Because I had so much, so much, the drugs were just trying to eke out of every place that my body had exposure to. They have a saying for that. She was sucked up like a Safeway chicken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, the swearing had to change. That includes electronic swearing, you know, beep, beep, when someone, that's the same thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's the same thing. It's a release of anger via, yeah. So anyway, so these, these things, these steps all the way down the line. Um, uh, they asked me to 
do Sabbath school. So Well, when we started coming to church, all we had were jeans and holy tennis shoes. We were just a mess. We were just a mess. We didn't know the good hygiene and everything. And so um, at one point we joined a church plan. I think there was like six or eight people going and Rich was falling asleep. And so the guy said, you know what you need to do? You need to teach Sabbath school. Let's make you the Sabbath school superintendent. So I said, well, if I do that, I got to wear a suit, but I'd never wore a suit. And so, you know what, I said, I'm going to buy that suit and it's going to hang in the closet. And it did. It hung in the closet for a couple months. I could not put it on. And finally, I wore it. And of course, one day, the first day I wore it, one of the saints came up to me and said, hey, it's about time you started dressing right for church. We always need to be really careful. You know what? We need to look at people through the eyes of God and recognize that people are in pain when they're at church. You know, it's not just, hey, happy Sabbath and everything's okay. We never know what's going on in someone's life. Yeah, so then the crab went. Guess what it went to? Ah, tofu, huh? And the first time she cooked tofu... She cried for three days because it tasted like snot. It was awful. You know what I'm saying? It was bad. It was bad, and it was this horrific, horrible experience. But we look back on it now, and we laugh. But these are the struggles that we went through. And, of course, we had the place down at the beach, and we used to eat the oysters. Well, they had to go to, we turned them into gluten, right? Okay. And what else? Oh, look at that. Doesn't that look nice? We had the, the, the bacon, right? Of course, that, that turns into textured vegetable protein, doesn't it? Huh? Why not? Transition food. I'm still on trans. Everybody on transition food still? Huh? It's legal, right? Okay. Transition food. Yeah. And one other thing. Can we make good food bad and bad food good? Uh, let me explain what I mean. Susan's mother, the only thing we had in common with her after we quit doing drugs and joined the Adventist church and changed our diet and this and that and did all these things... The only thing we had in common with her was a meal. Right, because, was food because I no longer cussed. I no longer sat and watched soap operas with her. I no longer went with her to the casino to gamble. We just, I didn't smoke with her. We just didn't do the same things anymore. I was completely different. The one thing we still had in common was food and, until. And we made some mistakes because we told her, she'd call up and say, when you come over for Thanksgiving, we'd, well, what do you having? And she would say, whatever, turkey or ham or whatever. And we'd say, I'm sorry, we don't eat that. Instead of just simply going, yes, we'd be over and eat the mashed potatoes and eat the string beans and the salad and not make a big deal out of it, we, our pendulum swung all the way one way and we blew it. So we learned from that. And it so, took a long time to repair that. And it was over diet. And, and, and it took a long time to repair that relationship with my mom. So yeah. We were able to. So that comes to this box of perfection that we can all have. As we go through our Christian experience, we collect things, and they're good things. They're doctrine, there's health principles, and there's all these wonderful things that we collect and we put in this box. But this box does not apply to a lot of people, because a lot of people are in different areas of a Christian walk. And we'll have a tendency, and I have this tendency, to look at someone and say, well, they're not doing that, that, and that. Therefore, they, they've got problems. You see, we get into problems doing that. That box of perfection could be 20 years old. 20 years worth of good stuff going in there. The first person off the street is not going to fit into that box. That's right. That's another lesson we learned. We should, that it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. We, let the Holy, we pray and let the Holy Spirit do the work. It's not our work to be done. Okay. And addicts are very self-conscious. 
I was working at a place and, and there was a woman had been an Adventist I think all of her life and she had come up to me. I had given my testimony and she came up to me and she touched me and she said, I've never touched a prisoner before. And it was just absolutely crushing to so me. So Susan freaked out, came home crying. It was awful. And it was horrible. You know, we need to, we just need to be, we need to recognize the people, to, to um, treat people with dignity, regardless of where they've been or what they've done. Because you know what? God doesn't look on, on your sin or my sin any better than anybody else's sin. Just because my sin was visible and, and you can go and find the records at, at the jail, that's one thing. But you know what? God knows the sins in our heart. And so we need to recognize that those are just as offensive to him as, as the things that maybe an addict does. Okay, so we didn't feel like we fit in. See the little, where these the goats? goats? That's where we were at. <laughs> the Lord was telling us we needed to go to Bible studies. So we would go to these people's house in, uh, in Lincoln and go to the Bible studies, but they were so happy. And they sang their songs. And see, this was new, to, especially to me. She loved it. But I would go back into the car after, and I would say, I hate those people. I got nothing in common with them. And it was a real struggle for me to work my way in to do the right thing. But we did the right thing because it was the right thing. Because and God said. God said so, and, and, and good things followed. But it was a very difficult point in my life because I was not used to being around happy people just because they were happy. And so you're going to find sometimes when you're working with people and you're going to say, what is wrong? Why don't these, why aren't these people responding? You know what your job is to do? Your job is to continue to pray for them. And don't push so hard, but just to be there and pray for them and lead them by your example. Okay. Now, here's where we get into what happened. A transformation takes time. Why? Because of brain damage. And this is where we're going to talk about, and this... This fits all of us, believe it or not, folks. Um, like I say, dopamine, well, we'll get to the dopamine, but individuals with a disease of the pleasure chemistry suffer not only from loss of pleasure from food, sex, and social contact. What is food, sex, and social contact? Those are the cornerstones of survival. We must have those three to survive, okay? So... Individuals with a disease of the pleasure chemistry, chemistry suffer not only from a loss of those, but, from ex by, but experience difficulties with other reward-influenced behaviors. In other words, they lose enjoyment, interest, motivation, and find their experience of life non-rewarding. With methamphetamine, this can be extreme. Now, the reason we're going to use methamphetamine is this is the problem that we both had, but it also, it is the most pronounced. And so when we look at the most pronounced addiction, you will find that this happens to a different degree in all the other addictions. But it's so plain and so clear with methamphetamine. And you'll, you'll be able to see, wow, that's what's going on in the brain. Now, it has to do with dopamine. Any addictive behavior or substance produces dopamine. And that is what is the cause of the addiction any addictive behavior. The neurotransmitter dopamine is the main brain chemical associated with the sensation of what? Pleasure. pleasure. Do we like pleasure? We like pleasure. So it's interesting what happens. Normal pleasure, get this now, normal life pleasure. In other words, I'm sitting there and I'm eating a fruit salad, okay? And I'm eating it and it's producing 100 units of dopamine. Okay, got it? 100 units being produced in the brain. Okay? Sex produces 200 units. Okay? 
Cocaine produces 400 units. You ready for this? Methamphetamine produces 1,200 units of dopamine, flooding the reward pathways with the supranormal concentrations of the neurotransmitter. Now, we're going to have a couple of diagrams here to show exactly what happens. It's very interesting. This is normal, okay? And what happens is the, uh, the uh, action potential comes down and it creates this, actually this is a presynaptic neuron, but I call it a dopamine cell for simplicity, okay? And what it does is it, it activates this to produce a certain amount of dopamine, and this, this dopamine comes and it sits in a receptor there, and it goes down here and it says, okay, I'm satisfied. You see, and that's the 100 units. That's the normal life pleasure. That's what we were created to feel and whatnot. But what happens when we abuse that? It gets perverted. It gets destroyed. This is a substance. This, uh, any substance, cigarettes, any substance, and I'll explain something here. But what happens is this gets overstimulated. Uh, methamphetamine mimics the dopamine. It actually comes into this cell and kicks the dopamine out and then it blocks what you call reuptake. In other words, it won't let the cell let this dopamine back in. So you have all this 12 times the normal production of dopamine. And what it does, you see what it's doing over here? It's camping all over the place and it is overstimulating this cell and it's destroying this cell because it can't, it wasn't, it wasn't designed to handle 12 times the normal amount of dopamine, okay? And so this cell loves it, says do it again. It reinforces the very behavior that's killing it. The brain is telling itself to kill itself. Now, with, with cocaine's a little bit different. Cocaine just simply blocks the reuptake. That's all it does. There's, two tra there's transporters on the, uh, on the outside of the cell, and cocaine just blocks the reuptake. So you got dopamine flying all over the place, but that's 400 units. The methamphetamine, like I say, it mimics the dopamine, and it blocks the reuptake, and it fries these cells. Now, what, do you, what happens? You can no longer feel pleasure. You know, once you take the first hit of methamphetamine, actually anything, your brain's never going to be the same. You'll never be able to feel normal life pleasure again. Okay? Now, what happens is the receptors are the parts of the neurons. That's where those little dopamine guys parked. In the, in the reward pathways of the brain that receive the neurotransmitters and trigger the resulting pleasure. As the receptors begin to die away and receptor function becomes disturbed due to overstimulation, the brain's ability to feel pleasure begins to reduce when? Immediately. Now the brain needs 12 times the amount of stimulation to be normal because it's destroying itself. So what happens? This is what happens without it. In other words, as the brain's ability to feel pleasure at levels up to 12 times higher than normal is destroyed, 
Without stimulation through methamphetamine use, the user experiences life as boring, flat, uninteresting, unrewarding, and unpleasurable. Never again. See, and I, I know because I used, to, I used to crash after doing that stuff and I would sleep for like two weeks in the same clothes and not eat. I would be so tired. Okay, I had no desire, to, no gumption as they say. No desire to do anything. Why? My ability to feel pleasure had been destroyed. The thing that tells you to get up in the morning, hey, it's going to be a good day. Destroyed. Now, this is a control subject, has never done methamphetamine. This is, and I hope you don't mind us using methamphetamine as an example, but it's so pronounced. But this happens in any addiction, believe it or not. It's all a dopamine chase. It's all, where am I going to get, like Don said earlier today, where am I going to get my dopamine? Am I going to get it from a good place or a bad place? Okay. This is a meth abuser that abused meth for 10 years, and he was clean and sober for a month. Okay. You can see this red area is dopamine production. He's not having a good time. The green areas is low brain activity. Okay? Green areas low brain activity, red areas represent dopamine production and reward pathway activity. He's not having a good time, is he? You see that? So what does the brain want? It wants more drugs. Or it wants more tobacco. What about a, a guy that goes gambling for the first time, okay? And he goes into that casino, and he pulls that handle about four times, and he wins a $100 jackpot. And he feels like he never has before, right? What happens when he wins that next $100 jackpot? Does he have that same feeling as that first one? No. He needs a bigger jackpot, doesn't he? And he needs a bigger one. And he wants to get, he's chasing the ghost, as they say. He's wanting to get that original feeling. He'll never get it. The drug addict will never get the original feeling because once he took the drugs, he destroyed his brain. And he'll chase that. And that's what drives the addiction, wanting to get that feeling back. You're never going to get it. A $100,000 jackpot is not going to do for that guy what the first jackpot he hit would. It just doesn't work that way. And so that's what happens. And so, now this is, this is incredible. This explains, this next slide explains why we were the way we were for so long and still are. We're still messed up. This, these are dead and gone brain cells. The red is 5%. The green is 3%. Okay, this is a, this is a fried brain from 10 years of methamphetamine use, okay? So we can, Susan and I can literally call ourselves airheads because we've killed 11% of our brain. It's incredible, isn't it? But does that tell about the restorative power of God? Is that incredible that, that someone could even have the lights on to be able to read after they've done this to their brain? But the funny thing is, is that's what the drugs do. That's what the addictive behavior does. It tells the brain to kill itself and reinforces the behavior that's killing it, see? That's the, the devil has cooked up this recipe in all drugs that cause us to do that to ourselves. Okay, so what do we do? 
You know, that's interesting. That brings up a good point. Someone came to me during the break and said, what do I do? I have this addict in my family. What should I do? And you know what I told her? The best thing you can do is you can pray for that person. And then the next, next thing that you can do is you can start taking care of yourself. Because you know what? A lot of times, especially with family members, we don't know what to do. So you have to allow God to come into their lives and to really work on them. And so you ask the Lord to come in and do the work of the person, for the person. Yeah, heart. sometimes all you can do is pray. We're working with two people right now, and they are a struggle. You know, they're uh, it's just it's zapping everything that we've got. You know, and one's, a, one's an addict, but she's also a cutter. The other one was an, is an addict, but she's also got multiple personalities. And there's all these things. And you know what? We're not capable of handling it. We've been working with addicts. So you need to know the, the right place to direct people. You know, you, you need, to, you need to, to send them to the right place. Because a lot of times, um, if you don't know what we're doing like we don't know, then we got, you have to send them to the people who can. So and that's exactly where they're at. They're at places right now where professionals can work with them and help them. Yeah, we've directed one to a, a, a real good home up in Canada, and the other one's down in, down south, right? Yeah. yeah so it's 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 working out, but you, you know we have to know our limitations, and uh, don't get we can get really wrapped up. Many who have been overcome by temptation are humiliated by their failures, and they feel that it is in vain for them to approach unto God. This thought is of the enemy's suggestion. Because that's the excuse you're going to hear if you talk to somebody that's struggling with any kind of addiction, any kind of bad behavior, is I'm not good enough to come to God. But that's of the whose suggestion? The enemy's suggestion. Always remember that. And I don't know if any of you out here are struggling with something that you just... Boy, I can't come to God with it. That's the enemy's suggestion. God says, bring everything to me. Okay, now, I wanted to talk about this, because I don't know if you've thought about this, uh, uh, about inside your mind, because what we have talked about is, is administering chemicals from the outside, right? Right? What you're thinking right now can actually change the chemical composition of your brain cells and the rest of your central nervous system. Did you know that? What you're thinking right now, if you're angry, you're changing the chemical composition of your brain. If you're coveting, you're changing the chemical composition of your brain. You're turning yourself into a certain type of person. Any kind of bad behavior is the same thing. What you're thinking, and Ellen White describes it as the mold of your mind, is what she says. In other words, you change, you become so uh, used to certain behaviors that the mold of your mind becomes changed, and you can, it's hard to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil. This, okay, I want to ask you a question. Does Satan just take what he wants? We've got some good students here. What, what has to happen? We have to give ourselves over to him. Don't we? And you know, the Bible uses the exact same phrase. Speaking of the behavioral addictions of Sodom and Gomorrah, notice what the Bible says. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, what? Giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. When a guy goes uptown to the quick mart to buy a pack of cigarettes, did he make the choice or did the little cigarette make the choice? That little cigarette, because he's given himself over to it. You see? 
Once you give yourself over to any kind of bad behavior, you've taken your freedom of choice away, and you've let that substance make the choice for you. So what do we do? We've got to give ourselves over to something or somebody else, don't we? To change the habits or to change those reactions in the brain that we're talking about, one must make new choices, right? Does this come by just mustering up enough ego motivation to do it? Is that how we do it? No, because we had given ourselves over to somebody else. Now we must give ourselves over to something or someone else now, right? Does that make sense? And that's going to be Jesus, isn't it? See, that's when God tapped us on the shoulder and said, your way hasn't worked. You have given yourselves over to the devil for, for 41 years. Give yourself over to me. And it worked. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, how many things? All, All things have become new. God, did you know that? God wants us to be addicted to him. Did you know that? He does, and he actually tells us that. In fact, in the King James, the word addicted is there. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Is that neat? Don called me one morning. He was all excited about that. He says, that's where you want to get your dopamine. Amen. Huh? Amen. That's what God had intended for us. If we got our dopamine there, we're happy we live forever. But the devil says, no, 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 you want the short-term stuff. You don't want that long-term stuff. You know, the short-term gain, the short-term pleasure, the instant gratification. Why is it so important that we do this nowadays? Because the last days are perilous times. What does it mean by perilous times? The, we don't have to guess. The Bible's going to tell us. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are perilous times, folks. We have so much in front of us right now, and especially you as young people. I mean, it is going on, isn't it? It's going on everywhere. And the devil is saying, get your dopamine here. Get your dopamine here. Get your dopamine here. He's saying, get it all over the place. Look at here. You've got internet gambling. You've got internet pornography. You've got chat rooms. Win a cruise. Win this. Win that. It's all coming at us from all angles, and it's all based on short-term gain and selfishness. 24-7 entertainment, right? Anywhere you are, right? You got HDTVs, you got buffets, anywhere you want to go, right? You got oxygen bars. What do you need an oxygen bar for? We got oxygen bars, right? You know, get your dopamine here is what they're saying. You got massage parlors, ice cream shops, Cold Stone. There's one right there in Lincoln, you know. It's just there. How do, you know? how do I know? <laughs> ah. Huh? Why would she say something like that? I'm coveting right now. No. <laughs> A bank on every corner if you need to get cash, right? Luxury cars, right? With a little TV screen in there. You got I mean, just to, to attack the senses. Theme parks, right? Let's go get some dopamine there. Uh, rock concerts, let's just attack the senses there. Just get some dopamine there. Uh, casinos, online, or you can go to, they just put another one up, in, up above Sacramento, an Indian casino. Nightclubs, attack the senses that way. You know, the lights and this and that. Kind of looks like a nightclub in here almost. Um, <laughs> sporting events, packs people in, right? 
They're going to get a charge out of things, but it's short-term game. After the game's over, what's up? There's, there's got to be another game, right? Not with God, though. It's eternal, see? The thrill of NASCAR. Now we've got NASCAR dads and soccer moms, and they're labeling all these people with all these names. Uh, these are perilous times, folks. You know what that is? That's the inside of a Hummer. Hummer limousine. Who needs that? You need that? Huh? Incredible, though. These are perilous times, aren't they? The devil is trying to get at us, folks, and he's trying everything he possibly can to do it. I've got to find out where I'm at here. Okay, these things are not freedom, are they? Those things that we just showed? They're bondage. But the devil has them disguised as freedom. And especially when you can't live without them, they're a prison cell. You know what I'm talking about? What choices are we making right now and where are they leading us? Yes. And I want to say something especially to, and I'm talking into his tie, <laughs> especially to the young people. You know, you can look and you can say, wow, these, look at her testimony. She was there and now she's here and she's doing this. But you know what? The best testimony that there ever was, was who? Jesus. Was Jesus' testimony. And that's what he's calling each and every one of you to have that same testimony. You don't have to go through the misery that we've gone through. You want to follow after the pure example. That's a greater testimony than that was the greatest testimony that ever was. So that's the testimony that you want to follow after. And you have this opportunity and you have this opportunity to reach this generation for Jesus. Remember what it said in your life. Let them read what it means to be a Christian. That's a, t a high calling, isn't it? Let them read what it means to be a Christian. Uh, that's our presentation for now, I think. Yeah, pretty much. If Don has something, I think you might want to have some closing thoughts. Was that a blessing? I want to thank uh, Rich and Susan for coming make and turn those lights on. And again, their ministry is uh, just as I am ministries.com. They have uh, the little book they're going to give to you. Um, clean seven steps, steps to uh, freedom. And uh, how many of you know someone that this material is going to be useful for? Anybody know anybody like that? And I hope it's been useful to each of you in, in what you want to avoid, but then also helping others and knowing when you can help and knowing when you can't help. When you need help, helping, you know, I think that's important too. Um, a couple things just in terms of housekeeping. Um, number one, I've mentioned it already a couple times, but there may be some people here new. Um, Doug Batcher is giving away a book. Another person that was completely changed was Mary Magdalene. And we're giving away uh, free books like this at our booth. Come by and fill out a card. We'll give you a book. Also, um, AFCO. We have a four-day four uh, course for the busy professional or someone who can't come for four months. Starts January 12th. You're welcome 
to sign up for that, find more information in this, and also the four month starts at the end of January. Still some slots there, though not many. I'm letting you know about that. Tomorrow morning, who's going to be here? Dr. Neil Nedley. He's going to kick it up a notch and talk about how to be uh, intelligent. Um, he's going to share some uh, tips that really helped uh, him in his life in terms of academic. You hear his own testimony, but then very practical things that are backed up by science and also the spirit of prophecy on how to really excel, not just academically, but more important, spiritually. He's going to share that testimony, and I've heard that presentation. He's written a book called The Lost Art of Thinking. And he's going to be excerpting that book, but it has numerous strategies on how to reach or regain peak mental performance. Um, I've discovered as I've read over that book, I've also contributed some to that book on the spiritual aspects, but I've discovered that a lot of the things it took me to learn until I, well, I'm just learning them now, he had discovered those as a young man, which was very helpful to him. I think it'll be very helpful to you as well. So uh, those two hours tomorrow, Dr. Nelly's going to be um, sharing with us at that time. Uh, any questions anyone has? Oh, one other announcement. Some of you ask, where can you get present, you know, copies of the notes for today? Why didn't you have handouts? Don't you know this is America, the land of free handouts? Um, well, Barack and I are working on that. No, just kidding. Um, we're... <laughs> We're, uh, I'm going to put up PDF forms of my notes on the website at Amazing Facts. Amazingfacts.org. Go to the training section and then down under Notes. It'll say Macintosh Notes. Would you guys be willing to print as a PDF form your notes? Those notes will be up there as well. And I'll ask Dr. Nelly to do the same so that you can get the at least the PDF files and you can have all of the quotes from the presentations made in this room. Um, so we'll put those up. And now, what if you can't find it on Amazing Facts? Just go to afco.org, I think it is. might be afco.com. I think it's afco.org. If you go to the other one, it's the Air Force and they may sign you up for a dopamine rush. So uh, really the best way to get your dopamine is witnessing, leading people to the Lord. The first person that I saw baptized as a result of sharing the message with them and their life turned around, I said, man, what have I been doing the rest of my life? Let's pray together and close. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the fact that you've given all so that we can even have life. Every breath is a gift. Every thought is a treasure. That uh, even if it's a bad thought, we can have it because of you. But you want our thoughts to turn towards you because of your great love. Help us to understand more of what it means when you said no to every human urge and said yes to every divine urge on the cross on our behalf. Thank you for that. And thank you for continuing to live, to make intercession for us, for praying for us right now and for today. I ask that you would mingle this prayer with, more importantly, your prayer, and that you would send us your power and your strength in our lives. 
And we thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.